This is Great Talk with Troy and Zara Love. Hi, and welcome to Great Talk. Great conversations with great people who are here to share great ideas. Wow, that sounds great. (laughs) And one great talk has the power to change the world. So who are we? Well, we're just a couple of nuff nuffs. <laughs> In fact, we wrote the book on it. It's called What is Enough? And it was turned into an animation series. Seen in more than 90 countries and 16 languages. But when everyone else innovated, we unavated. So now we're on a quest for knowledge. Think of it as Entrepreneurship 101. What does that mean, Zara? Well, Troy, we're going to find 101 ideas to help you, OK, and us... Unlock some real potential. I guess you could say it's all the excitement and strife of entrepreneurial life. Hosted by husband and wife, Troy and Zara Love. Ah, oh, thank you. Don't. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> Don't stop. <laughs> yes, we are your hosts and your spirit guides, and this is your very own intergalactic guide for entrepreneurial success. This is great talk. Great talk. Tune into opportunity. Disrupt radio. Hello and welcome to Great Talk with Troy and Zara, a.k.a. Entrepreneurship for Dummies. <laughs> I am Troy, my friends call me Troy Boy. I am Zara, my friends call me Zaza, and we are thrilled that you are here because if you weren't, we'd be talking to ourselves. Well, it wouldn't be the first time, won't be the last. <laughs> so thank you for joining us as we go deep inside the brains of some fascinating thinkers. Did you just say thinkers? I think I did. <laughs> and that's the point, we ain't no rocket surgeons, <laughs> but we've got some amazing guests who'll be joining us to share some incredible insights. Think of it as Entrepreneurship 101. Exactly. See, together we'll uncover at least 101 unique and instantly applicable ideas to help make you and us more better. Couldn't have said that more better myself, Zara. (laughs) You are going to love our little show, but we're not here to fornicate with arachnids, as the kids would say. Uh, I'm not sure they do, Troy, but you're right. Our goal is simple, to enrich your life and fill your cup with wisdom, inspiration and tools. Wait a minute. Are we the tools, Zara? I think we might be, Troy. Yes, yes, (laughs) I think so. Uh, As you just heard, we are partners in business and life. We've been together for more than 30 years. In fact, I moved in with Troy the very first night we got together. Mm -hmm. True story. What can I say? Some girls play hard to get, I play hard to get rid of. Yeah, you're still here. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But together, we're about to engage in some wonder-filled conversations and curiosity-driven dialogues. But before we do, it's pop quiz time. It's fast, 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 fast money. Okay, Fast Money here, our quick pop quiz. Who is this Aussie star who made a name for himself on US TV? What are you doing, boy? Sowing the seeds of chaos and anarchy. Wilfred! You're a regular Scooby-Doo. Ah! What the hell? That's the most racist character ever created. Who talks like that? Ah, that is Jason Gann from the Aussie and USFX TV's Wilfred fame. He's an Aussie boy turned Hollywood actor and producer. He's worked with Frodo, a.k.a. Elijah mm-hmm. Wood, and then launched his own cannabis brands, Wilfred CBD and Hemp and Wilfred Cannabis. Woof, woof. He's also worked with some amazing people, including the late, great Robin Williams. Can't mm. wait to hear all about that, Zara. And you know what I love about our great talk guests, Troy? They, like us do not mince their words. Oh, yes, you're referring to culture guru Carl Treacher. Here he is on why not all of us are cut out to be a leader. So hang on, let's just go through that. If everyone's a leader, 
So you've just been released from a psychiatric ward and you're a psychopath or sociopath, which according to the statistics, 5% of CEOs are. Um, you you can be a leader, can you? Is that how we're going to qualify you as a leader? You might have had some great experience and your capability is terrific, but fundamentally as a human, you have a disassociation from your feelings to other people. So you don't actually care for other people. So no, no, not everyone can be a leader and not everyone should be a leader. Wow. Tell us how you really feel, Carl. Who knew 5% of CEOs have psychopathic tendencies? Yeah, that number seems low, doesn't it? That's what I was thinking. That interview with Carl coming up and also this one. You can't start anything without not knowing, without being freaked out. Nobody can do that. All you got to do is minimise your risk, look at it over a long horizon, work out what you can do to make a living gently do a blended startup, work out what you can risk. And it doesn't matter how many times you it doesn't work and you can drop out if you've worked out how much you can risk, you will get there. You will do it. It will happen. That's our old mate and lecturer in entrepreneurship and innovation, Alan Peck, who will tell us why we all need to follow the elephant. This is Great Talk with Troy and Zara on Disrupt Radio. Hello. You can join the conversation via the website disrupt.radio or find us at GR8Talk on Facebook, Insta or Twitter or at Great Talk on LinkedIn. Right now it's time for... According to Forbes.com, around 90% of startups fail within their first five years. Nice newsreader voice, Zara. Thank you, Troy. I do my best. But we don't want you to become a statistic. So whether you're at the start of your startup or you're ready to scale up, our first guest is here to help. As CEO of the Culture Institute and the Brand Institutes of Australia, Carl is dedicated to building brands, culture and relationships. He's worked in 12 countries. His specialty is in reputation, brand management, culture and experience alignment. He's worked with some big names and big people, including Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm. Can't wait to hear more about that. Mm. He's also contributing to the field of corporate AI readiness and governance. It's time for a great talk with Carl Treacher. Zara, they say people who love people are the luckiest people in the world. Oh, it's so true, Troy. And recently we had the great pleasure of facilitating a leadership panel with our first guest. Now, we loved your take on culture, Carl, but, and I found this fascinating, Hmm. you are not a people person, right? <laughs> well, not that's not an everyday small talk people person, that's for sure. Okay, I get it. People are the worst. <laughs> and yet, you've chosen a career, a passionate purpose that's all about ensuring that people can bring out the best in themselves on a daily basis and leave at the end of the day feeling better than when they arrived. Sounds possible, not easy, but possible. Mm. But first, I'm really interested, why do you do what you do? So I might not be an everyday small talk type of person, but I do have a deep sense of care and what I consider a duty of care uh, for those people we work with um, to ensure that we have the best time or the the most reasonable time that we possibly can have on the planet. So it comes back to why don't I like small talk? My mission really is to help drag us out of the things that aren't serving us. So if that's a antiquated leadership style where we're being oppressed through saying, I'm a grown adult and yet my boss. I mean, that statement itself is absurd. Uh, If we're still living in an existence where I'm saying my boss, whatever the rest of the sentence is, there's something wrong. Yeah. Okay. So care is something that's very important to you. Is that the 
beating heart of a great leader? Is it the ability to genuinely care about the people that we're serving? It depends what the end goal is. You know, if we're living in a a capitalist environment, which we generally are, we have shareholders demanding returns of companies. Well, the end goal then is productivity. So if we follow that line of breadcrumbs, how we get productivity is that we get people to feel like there's a sense of belonging for them. So they get a sense of they're well held, that they're cared for. Um, now, I'm, I'm going down this path. This isn't necessarily how I think, but if it is how shareholders and boards treat organizations. So they have this sense of care. Um, because people will stay longer, which costs the organization less. They'll stay 10 years longer, less churn, and you don't lose IP. They don't walk out the door with all the IP. They also can have the hard conversation without breaking or fracturing relationships, which means they're going to be more innovative. So there's an enormous array of reasons that stack up behind why care is important in a capitalist society. For me personally, I think it's beyond that. I think there's a duty of care as humans working together to actually foster a community that is caring. Mm. Ah, now you were disparaging about your schooling <laughs> before we started the show today. Sure. We were chatting, sure. and I'm guessing that you went to a fancy pants school, a private school. Yeah, it seems like you got a yeah. reasonable education, Carl. That's what we're saying. You're an associate professor now, so you've gone on to academia. Yeah, you've done all right. And look, I raise it because I've got a girlfriend who also went to a private school, and I really love their methodology. It was 50% achievement. service. And that mindset for those students is really, really powerful in life, right? So we know that half of what we do is about making sure that we're doing it better than Mm -hmm. we did yesterday. And the rest is care, service, growing people and making sure that they're looked after. Yes. And that girl has gone on to open three schools in Uganda. What a show off. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. That mindset of 50% achievement, 50% care has led to 1,700 people now going through those schools. So your upbringing, that school, is that the place, the seed that was planted in you that made you want to do things better for people? You know, shake us awake and show us that there's another way to embrace culture. Mm. Hell no. (laughs) <laughs> that school, yes, I went to a big fancy pants school in St Kilda Road. We didn't wear hats and things like that, but we wore funny colours like purple. Now, that school, its slogan, motto, credo was dare to be wise. Now, that was just a statement. And as we talk about all the time with culture, it's what happens after the whistle blows. So despite saying dare to be wise or you know, we care or in, you know, integrity and, and passion and honesty is important, it's how we go about doing things uh, whilst we're in that community and then beyond. So to your example, that school sounds fantastic. And it sounds like they actually had strong integration processes from the foundational assets, which is that statement, into the way that they taught and then into um, everyday life, which is what culture is. Uh, For me personally, my school wasn't about that. It was about how well you performed on the sporting field or, you know, pursuing uh, creative arts, which is, that's all fine and well, but it certainly didn't provide me with any sort of moral guide or compass in any way. So why do you do what you do? I think um, my family probably had a big say in that. You know, I sort of come from a for-service type of family. I didn't recognise that at the time, but, you know, my mum was a nurse, my dad was a psychologist, so they were always in service of, humanity. Um, and so I then land in the corporate world wondering what what planet I'm on where people are throwing each other under the bus. There must be so many people under that bus. I feel sorry for the driver <laughs> of that metaphorical bus, actually. He's like, you know, buses are supposed to have people in them, not under them. 
So many questions for culture expert Carl Treacher. Coming up, we unpack a new kind of leadership to help you build a brilliant culture. This is Great Talk with Troy and Zara on Disrupt Radio. This is Great Talk with Troy and Zara on Disrupt Radio. We're back with Carl Treacher, culture king. Uh, I think that business might have already been taken, Troy. Oh, yeah, well, fair call. But he is a culture legend. And I'm interested, Carl, you came from a pretty happy environment with your mum and dad. Mum's a nurse, dad's a psychologist. And mum, she's looking after the body. Dad, it's all about the mind, the spirit, the soul. You've got this wonderful connection. You get into the workplace thinking maybe that everything's going to be just as wonderful as your home life. But it's a bit of a rude shock, which I think actually a lot of people are finding moving into workplace cultures, particularly young people. Yeah. You know, they come from this place of great appreciation, great support. Mm. They've got a cheer squad, someone there constantly to make sure they're okay. Then they get to work Mm. and they feel like they're completely alone and they often start to struggle. They start to flounder. No doubt about it. Uh, In all the insights that we have around university certainly represent that, you know, coming out of COVID as well, that isolation and and sense of abandonment is enormous. And then moving into a corporate structure where leadership is nowhere near where it needs to be before we enter the AI conversation, but even just to nurture and foster a high-performance culture around care and community. There's a lot of work to be done because to my point earlier, any person can become a leader if you perform well enough in an organisation. Now, that has no correlation to how well you lead culturally. Mm. And so cultural leadership is what the younger people are missing. How do I actually get this sense of recognition and belonging? Is that because, you know, previously in corporate life, it was a meritocracy? You know, you seem to have done well enough here, therefore you be in charge of these people, whether or not you've had the appropriate training or whether or not you have any interest or passion in it. Mm. 100%. And it's still it's still exactly that right now. Mm. Okay, so we're talking to people with Disrupt Radio that are either starting out in their entrepreneurial journeys or mm. they've been doing this for a while. Mm. They're ready to scale, but maybe they're stuck. They don't know what the next step needs to be. Yes. Now, maybe they need to kind of reboot the culture. Sure. And cultural leadership is a term, I'm embarrassed mm. to say, that I've only heard recently and I think I might have only heard it last week coming out of your mouth, Carl, <laughs> at the conference yeah. we facilitated. Yeah. So cultural yep. leadership, what is it? So traditional leadership is essentially um, capability and performance focused, yep. where we train people to perform a particular task to deliver a result. Cultural leadership is more the psychological components that surround that. So there's two elements to it. One is engagement, essentially. So how well are we respecting individuals, their needs uh, in a particular space so they perform quite well and also enjoy their existence? And the second part is cultural stewardship, which is how are we then carrying through the organisational values and foundational elements so that we have a point of distinction and also represent our tribe. You know, the reality is humans are tribal creatures. We look for tribes and we look for leadership within those tribes. So if we're doing those two things that we've got, one, we're essentially nurturing cultural health. And the second thing is we're demonstrating authentic leadership in service to the organisation. That's what cultural leadership is. Okay. And whose responsibility is it? We ran a survey recently asking exactly that question, where does culture belong? You know, I think I might have made the point when we met at that conference that, you know, culture's been in foster care for a long time. So it's been managed and, uh, and driven through the HR 
or chief people and culture departments. Um, the reality is the board actually sets the culture. Now, in Australia, that's done quite poorly. It's not something that the board does. The board sets the culture. The CEO directs the culture. Leaders shape the culture in everything that they do every day. So, so the responsibility actually is, it's a very broad responsibility across the organisation. But before we even get there, the level of cultural acumen, which is another topic no one talks about, is how much do we understand culture? Do we really understand what it is and how does it come into play? The answer is no, of course not. It's too boring to understand. Ah, uh, dude, isn't it just like ping pong tables? Yeah, and like uh, riding scooters through the office? Yes. No. I mean, that's what we assume it is, but no, it's it's really a deep, deliberate practice to help people feel a sense of belonging and, and perform in their environment. It's almost like, you know, uh, relationship chemistry in the same way that mm. it's got to be felt. You know when it's working, you know when it's not working. Mm. Yeah. But how do you make the intangible tangible? Does it have to start with strategy? Like you mentioned that culture starts with the board, which is kind of unusual. Mm. I haven't heard that before. We don't think of it that way, right? Well, I think there's also an issue with companies assuming that their mission statement or that their values mm. that are clearly displayed are enough of a token gesture towards culture, but they're not necessarily mm. the same thing, right? Mm. Mm. And they don't necessarily drive the behavioural change that people are looking for. So let's let's do this. We're speaking to someone right now, Carl, that's about to go on this journey. They're about to launch. What would you say are the first three steps that they need to take before mm. they have to actually right the ship and culture has gotten away from them. How do you lay the foundation in a way that's going to build some, you know, some tangible success? Mm. So there's two things they should be thinking about. The first one is what gets measured gets done. So let's not make any statements before we can then hardwire that into the organizational framework, be it a psychological contract or an EVP or reward and remuneration, whatever it is, what we're saying here needs to be the basis of assessment. That's the first thing. Okay. Got it. The second principle is there's a, a great quote that says, example isn't the best way to change behavior. You know, it's the only way. Ah. So when we're looking to recruit people into the organization as you grow and scale, the one tenant they have to have first and foremost is their ability to be a people person. So if you look at any of the greatest organizations, I'm not talking about market cap necessarily, but those organizations that have stood the test of time, particularly in a service environment, you'll find someone in there is a brilliant people person, great levels of empathy, listens particularly well, contemplates and considers, doesn't defend and protect. Hey, Groovy Cats and Kittens, welcome to The Sidebar. This is the part of Great Talk where we step into the lounge, pour ourselves a little beverage and clarify or go a bit deeper on something we may have just heard. Right, Zara? Right you are, Troy. I'll have a gin and tonic, thank you. Coming right up, ma'am. Now, Carl just mentioned an interesting quote. The quote was, example isn't the best way to create behaviour change, it's the only way. Mm. In fact, that quote came from a very interesting human being, Albert Schweitzer. Ah, the old Schweitzer. Mm. Now, he was a theologian. A musicologist, a writer, a humanitarian, a philosopher <laughs> and a physician. Yeah. So quite the underachiever. <laughs> in fact, the quote was, example is not the main thing in influencing others, it's the only thing. <sighs> Glad we got that clarification. All right, one, two, three, skull. Skull. All right, back out of the sidebar. 
This is Great Talk with Troy and Zara Love. Disrupt Radio. This is Great Talk with Troy and Zara on Disrupt Radio, and we're speaking with Carl Treacher. Turns out culture is for more than just yogurt. Who knew? Okay, so we all need to learn how to become people, mm. people. And you know what, Carl? We were lucky enough to work with a great leader who did exactly that. Yes. It was many years ago. We had a small business. We ran comedy clubs together. And look, he was a very gentle man, although he was always saying never confuse gentleness with weakness. Mm. True. And he's right. Mm, wow. In fact, in that environment people often would come into work on their days off yes, because it was a place that was just conducive to their own happiness. They felt comfortable there mm. and wanted to contribute. But he had some really interesting strategies. Ah, uh, yes, like the one, two, three thingamy, which we still use and I love. Exactly. So it's a really simple idea, which is you, you never have a work conversation without having two unrelated personal conversations first. Right. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? Even when everyone knows you're doing it, they mm-hmm. still go with it. Yes. Because what we're saying here is people matter. So it might be, Carl, something like, uh, you told me you were going to the footy on the weekend. Number one. How was it? And number two. Did you get the family together for the barbecue? I know you've been planning that. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And number three. By the way, the kitchen's on fire. Can you go and sort that out? <laughs> <laughs> so the third thing is the business thing, but everyone kind of sat through the first two knowing that we were saying people matter, you know, and it's those little strategies that people can implement that are so easy, right, and yet they create a seismic shift to any organisation. I love that, by the way. That's a wonderful observable artefact that we, we, we described it as an artefact uh, inside a culture. Uh, Carolyn Taylor wrote a book called Walk the Talk maybe 15 years ago. It's a very easy to read book, but those but leaders looking to cultivate um, culture should read that. She talks about behavior symbols and systems. And so there's when you are looking to scale or develop or change or evolve culture, there are particular behaviors that will align to your strategy and also to your target culture. There'll be particular systems that you may need to change. And then we would talk about symbols and signs in terms of the major investments that you might make or the things that you see. And there's that saying, you know, show us uh, where you spend your time and money and we'll show you your culture. And that's very true that we need to have very clear, obvious Uh, demonstrative evidence of culture for us to believe it. And if we don't, it's like a garden. It will take its own shape and weeds will appear and it'll get out of hand very quickly. And no one wants a weedy garden. But what does it mean to always be rallying, Carl? I love these statements around always be rallying, where we tend to under-communicate what's important and what the culture is and how it stands up. I mean, there's a few other things I think are important, but yeah, the behavioural modelling is incredibly important that the people you bring into your organisation will be responsible for shaping the culture, regardless of whether they know it or not. And who's doing it really well, Carl? Have you seen anyone that is really excelling and who needs to stay back after school and get better at this? <laughs> a lot of tech companies are doing it really well at the moment. Mm. Uh, they understand a flatter hierarchy. They understand the importance of sharing data 
and the importance of collaboration as opposed to competition. So without naming names, there's some really terrific Australian success stories, you know, in Church Street in Melbourne, for instance, that have a wonderful culture and are doing a terrific job as a result of that. On the flip side of that, you've got the more traditional organisations that really have enormous barriers in front of them to be able to have a more cohesive, caring, higher performing organisation because they're basically they've been designed as a process house in post-industrial revolution and they haven't changed. And here we are 150 years later. Yes. Yeah, and you know, back then you really just carried a clipboard and looked serious and told people what to do and that was getting stuff done. So I would say the care model is also a little confronting to a lot of people because it can reveal who we truly are. You know, that's the bit that we kind of zip up when we go into the workplace, but that duality is making many people sick and that Mm. duality just isn't conducive to a great culture. But is that also because it was undervalued for so long, you know, that people component of, ah, well, that doesn't matter. Let's just get to the bottom line. Yeah, that's weakness. You know, that's just the realm of emotions. It can be uncomfortable for people. The only way I've ever had success and I've ever seen success uh, around vulnerability and care is when you relate it to the reality that we will not innovate effectively or perform well if we don't develop an authentic relationship. And that is dependent on care. When we don't frame it like that, we talk about care, it becomes irrelevant. It becomes something that's a nice to have. Instead of, wait, I need to be able to give you high candor feedback. I need to be able to have the hard conversation with you, for instance, to say, listen, that's not right. You've made a mistake there. Without judgment, strong psychological safety now, which by the way is law. So every workplace has to have very healthy psychological safety. It's very new, very new legislation. I've got to be able to give you that feedback without you taking offense or creating a political shitstorm around me or you or between us. You know, I want you to say, oh, thanks for letting me know. That's great. And I say, that's great. Well, let's try again. Let's go again. What can we do next time? And that kind of feedback that you're speaking of seems like the ultimate goal in the way that every organisation wants to run. But again, we're not very good at it. We struggle with communication. Often we think we're doing it really well, but we're dancing around the issues. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard of radical candor before. Yeah, great. It was Kim Scott who was working at Google. And I think the story goes that they had somebody in the team that everybody liked, but he was pretty awful at his job. Uh, and he kind of kept plodding along, plodding along. Some people were saying we need to sack him. Kim was like, well, but we like him. Finally, they made the decision. They had to let him go. Kim brings this guy into her office and says, look, I'm really sorry, but we have to let you go. And this guy is absolutely furious mm. and rightly so. In fact, the first thing he says is, why is this the first time I'm hearing about it? Mm. And she realised in that moment that she was doing a complete disservice to this gentleman by not speaking up, by not being radically candid with this man. Mm. So how do you learn how to be deeply honest and challenge people to be better than they were yesterday when there is such a high propensity for offending someone Mm. and then when they're offended, it becomes your fault, right? You made me feel something. Yeah, well, Kim Scott's answer to that was that you had to care deeply. So, yes, you Mm. could be as candid as you like, but you also had to care about that individual and why you were giving that feedback. It's not just to exert Mm. power and to, you know, demonstrate I'm the boss here, but, you know, you've got to have a purpose to it, which is to make them better in their performance within your organisation and hopefully then improve the results for everyone. 
Yeah, so you're not just calling someone in and saying, I want to talk to you because you're completely shit at your job. <laughs> no, preferably not. Yeah, or the, or the very obvious shit sandwich, you know, give you something something to make you feel a bit better before we take your knees out and then put a Band-Aid on it. So that point of around there's no substitute for authentic conversation and investment in cues of belonging, you know, reinforcing the cues of belonging. There's a great um, adage that came out of the San Antonio Spurs and it was um, Popovich who was the coach and he didn't have the best team, but they've won more NBA titles than anyone else in the last 20 years because of the cues of belonging and the practices and the symbols of that. So they have dinner together. They, he takes a personal interest in all their stories. He understands their background. Any culture work that we do or that any of your listeners do should focus on that. It should invest in the relationship because that will then pay dividends afterwards for all sorts of things in terms of innovation and productivity. And aren't we therefore assuming some level of self-awareness in our leaders as well? You know, we started this conversation with they might be a psychopath mm. that doesn't have that care factor, but it sounds like increasingly we need it. The self-awareness element is is fundamental and foundational to all of this. So in a self-assessment study of uh, self-awareness, leaders rated themselves 85%. And when we actually went through the the process of un, of unpacking what their level of self-awareness was, it was more like 15%. Yeah. So there's a massive over-index on self-awareness generally. You almost have to hold the mirror up first to be able to get them to recognize their base state. Here's where I am at the moment before I start developing. Yeah, well, you've got to know what you're feeling before you can guide someone else to feel a certain way as well. And that's more challenging than it sounds. To that point, it's exactly the same with listening. The the statistics are almost identical that we think we're a much better listener than we are. And we also think we're a much better listener than we think other people are. Oh, so So, sorry, Carl. What were you saying? (laughs) (laughs) It's very good. Very good. Did you watch the Ted Lasso series? I watched the first one and then I despise anyone who's watched the second and third season. <laughs> Why? Why? Because it's it, it jumped the shark. You know that you know that jump the shark expression where Fonzie jumps the shark in Universal City? That, that's what happened. Like as soon as the team owner started dating one of the players, I was finished. Well, you know what we really loved about it? There's a final scene and I think it's the first season where he's playing darts. Mm. It's a competition and the stakes are super high. Mm. And through it, he delivers this monologue that's just so wonderful because the whole series, you're really waiting for him to either have a meltdown or go (laughs) postal or do something outrageous. But really, Mm. it's just about a nice guy who happens to be a great leader. And he says that people have always underestimated him his Mm. entire life. Yes. And he realises that when people sit in judgement, not curiosity, that really says more about them than Mm. anything else. It's a really great series. Yeah, well, we could describe it, but it is an audio medium, Zara, so let's have a listen. Oh, that's a much better idea. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day I was driving my little boy to school and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car and I'm driving to work and all of a sudden it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out and so they judged everything and they judged everyone and I realized that they're underestimating me who I was had nothing to do with it because <laughs> if they were curious they would ask questions you know questions like have you played a lot of darts Ted 
it. That is Ted Lasso from Apple TV+. And as you can imagine, Ted goes on to win that game and also the game of life. Exactly. So how do we move people from judgment to curiosity? It's easy to be judgmental. It's easy to throw mud. It's easy to find the negative. But we don't want to. Actually, humanity is very hopeful. If you give us an opportunity or a door to be curious and hopeful, we'll take it. But we often don't know that that's an opportunity or or an option for us. So we default to being negative and being critical and judgmental and cynical. However, if we provide them with another lens to look through from the outset and then have symbols around that where we are trusting, we're expecting that people are acting in our best interest. We respect that they have the positive intent for the conversation, interaction, or whatever it is that we're doing. Our entire culture is based on looking through that lens to not dropping into the negative judgmental lens because you'll find there's three things that happen in that lens. One is defiance or overcompliance or isolation. So people will remove themselves in isolation. They'll either say yes to everything to keep themselves safe or they'll become a cultural terrorist because they can't stand it. Ooh, I want to know more about cultural terrorists. Sit tight, Carl. You're tuned in to Disrupt Radio on DAB Plus in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne and streaming at disrupt.radio. This is Great Talk with Troy and Zara. Yeah, and we're on a quest for uh, some great ideas. Entrepreneurship 101 and we're looking for 101 brilliant, tangible and instantly applicable ideas that can help you and of course us to succeed in business and life. Yes, and we've got a little more to go with our guest Carl Treacher and coming up, lecturer in entrepreneurship and innovation, Alan Peck. Carl is, of course, from the Culture Institute and the Brand Institutes of Australia. Zara, great combo so far. Oh, I think you should form part of our universal help desk, Troy. Yes, I agree. What's really stood out for you in the chat? He's just so wise. He's very wise. Mm, Wise he is. You've turned into Yoda. I have, I have. But (laughs) I think at any point it would be great if we could form our universal help desk and then be able to give them a call at any moment to solve any problems you might have or to answer any questions we might have. Have you got a problem? Hit us up at the show, disrupt.radio. Beautiful. Now, now you're quite right. Carl is a legend. I love when he said the beating heart of a great leader is the ability to genuinely care about the people they're serving. Mm, nice to hear. So true. And he also said, you know, what gets measured gets done. We all know that, right? Yeah, it's an old adage in corporate life, but it does work for startups too. I guess the question is, are you measuring the right stuff? Mm. And how lovely Zara to hear, to succeed, you need at least one genuine people person in your team. Thank you, Carl. Yeah, Carl mentioned the, the care model, uh, which can be a little confronting to, to some people, but the goal has got to be to to create radical candor. In fact, I think, Troy, that might be our first idea for our 101 great ideas. Oh, ding, ding. We have to be able to create an environment where radical candor is possible. Mm. That means we're able to speak to, confront, challenge our colleagues, our organisation to do things differently. It also means that we have to not take offence when that radical feedback is shared. Hashtag triggered. Yeah, that's that's right. We we think it's an offence to take offence. Yeah, is it bad that I'm triggered by trigger warnings? <laughs> Look, uh, all of that's coming up. Carl's sticking around to round out that conversation, and I promise we will find out what it means to be a cultural terrorist inside a team. But I'm going to put another idea on the 101 list, Troy. Yeah. 
And that is my idea that oh. I, I stole sure. from uh, a great leader that we once worked with <laughs> called the one, two, three thing. I mean, now Carl said that we need artifacts and symbols within our organizations that are behavioral, that show people what you stand for. Mm-hmm. The one, two, three thing I mean is really, really simple. It basically means you get to work, you need to get something done, but you always have two personal unrelated conversations with that person before you get to the thing that really matters. And we're not talking about eating up all of your lunch hour. This can be fairly brief, right? Yeah, that, that's it. And you know, the guy that introduced this idea we're talking to in the next hour. Ah, uh, yes. A wonderful leader who had a real impact on both our lives. He met you, Zara, when you were just five years old. Mm. Me at 19. Influenced my own passion for people leadership. That is Swinburne, an RMIT lecturer in entrepreneurship and innovation, Alan Peck. Yeah. Coming up, he's going to tell us why we should all be following the elephant. Ooh, okay. I haven't heard him talk about that before. Sounds interesting. But, you know, we, we got to work together for many years at our comedy club. Al was part owner with my family. We ran the club. I should say we ran the club into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> but only after 11 years of some incredible success, you know, we got to entertain a quarter of a million people in mm. that business. And we had a, a mantra or a philosophy that everybody shared. So we never called our guests, you know, punters or bums on We referred to them as beloved guests. Yes, and that took a while to embed in our culture, right? It was a celebration venue, so people would drink a little bit. Yeah, so you might have to go to someone and go, hello there, could you please uh, grab a mop and bucket and head off to the bathroom because one of our beloved guests has lost their dinner. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Because we had that philosophy, it meant that everybody cared deeply about the person in front of them. We knew that our guests had their own lives going on, their own challenges, but we knew that for one night we could transport them, we could elevate them, we could lift them out of their problems and give them a night to remember. And something amazing happens when you genuinely care about people. You would come to work with all your dramas. You know, your own we, worries, yeah. We were young, we had money issues, we yeah. had all kinds of problems going on in our own lives. But the moment you had to focus on somebody else, your own problems just disappeared. It was like a backpack that you carried with you, you took off, mm-hmm. you did the work, you entertained, you looked after somebody. Then at the end of the shift, you had a choice. Do I pick that backpack of problems back up or do I leave it there? And often we just left it there because the experience changed us, you know, for the better. Yeah. And even if you have to pick that backpack back up, the beauty of doing it with a team is that, you know, it's a load shared. Here's my idea for the world, Troy. In fact, I think we need a segment called What the World Needs Now. Oh, do tell, Zara, please. What the world needs now. Yeah, sorry, we haven't paid for that one. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I think everybody should have to do two years of mandatory hospitality training. (laughs) Now, we've got mates who are from Israel and they have to do a couple of years. Yes, compulsory service. That's right. If everyone had to do some hospitality training, I think it would show us why giving is its own reward. It would show people how to show up in a way that is giving people great service and caring about people. And those skills can be translated into any business. Yeah, it is that attitude of care that Carl's been talking about. Well, coming up, we do have Alan Peck with the big advice to help you start your startup or maybe take it to the next level. We are following that elephant just ahead on Great Talk with Troy and Zara. This is Disrupt Radio. Great talk.